Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. To get us started today, I want to bring in John Best. He is the publisher of the Bay Observer, a favorite and a regular on the show. John, how are you today? Just great, thanks, Scott. Wanted to talk to you about um, this story that is coming out of the Hamilton Wentworth Public, the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. And the idea that's being talked about at great length, by the way, this is not a, like a minor little discussion. They've already had two meetings about it. And there's going to be more meetings about it that is going to put restrictions on what trustees can say and what they can talk about and who's allowed to speak and what they're allowed to talk about and who has to get permission and whether it's just the chairman that's allowed to speak and all this kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, when I, when I read the story in the spectator, uh, you know, I, I, I seldom if ever question, uh, you know, the veracity of anything that's in the spec, but I, I couldn't believe what I was reading, frankly. And, uh, because, uh, I, I know, um, uh, the, uh, chair or the former chair of the board of ed and Don Danko and, and the founder to be, you know, she's a very, very bright person. And, uh, so I listened to the entire meeting. It was about an hour and a half. And it, it to, frankly, it bewildered me. I, I just uh, couldn't understand the logic that, uh, that uh, Ms. Danko was, was putting out, that there was a need for essentially uh, nobody could express an opinion on an agenda item uh, until it had been discussed in, at the board. And I mean, we're all capable of reading agendas and forming conclusions and none of this stuff would come out of a vacuum. So I, I just found it a, a very controlling kind of statement and uh, I'm, I'm still scratching my head as to uh, what exactly she was trying to, uh, uh, you know, what, what the principle was that she was trying to address. Well, it's not just her, clearly. I mean, there are others on the board who are feeling the same way. I just, I don't even know how this discussion gets started. And the reason is very clear. These are elected officials. They are not working for each other. This is not a, uh, a navel gazing country club's executive. This is, these are people who were voted on, who were selected in a municipal election by the electorate. I don't know how anybody on that board believes they even have the right or should have the right to tell these people that the public chose that they can't speak to the public. I don't get that. Well, we're, you know, these, co the, the reason the matter came up is because they were, they were, uh, I guess, uh, thinking about revising the trustees code of conduct. So they were going through the document line by line. And I think the, you know, initially, uh, it had, <clears throat> the code of conduct had a clause that, that said um, trustees can express their opinion, uh, but they have to make it clear that it is their opinion. And, and there's always been this concern, uh, especially with the Board of Education, about people saying things against something after it's been passed, whereas at a, at a city hall, a city council meeting, uh, you can crab about something the council's passed until the cows come home. Uh, and and I really wondered, what what is the need for this kind of artificial unity? Uh, what's wrong with people disagreeing, perhaps disagreeing vigorously, as long as it doesn't, you know, venture into personal attacks? 
surely uh, it would make sense to have uh, robust debates. And I, and I guess the other thing, Scott, is at a time when we see what's happening with these Ivy League universities uh, in the United States over the Israel-Hamas war, um, education is really under the microscope right now. And, and there's an undercurrent of, of concern that education has become too politically correct. Uh, kids are being taught stuff that uh, is not in harmony with what parents want. Uh, this is not a time to be now saying, uh, you know, we don't want to, we, we're going to create an artificial circumstance so there is minimal disagreement at our board meetings that the, the need for uniformity outweighs the ability of someone like, for instance, trustee Todd White, who, who argued quite vigorously, but extremely politely, I might add, uh, that, that really there should be more freedom of expression. Don Danko, who was the former chair um, in this meeting, one of the things that she said, and there were a lot of people that said different things, but one of the things that was reported on what she said, that the role of trustees, and here's a quote, is to serve the board and all the students, staff, and members of our diverse community. And I, I got to say, I found uh, maybe she would give it a, a redo if she had a chance. I don't believe that the trustees primary purpose is to serve the board. The second part of her statement, I'm fine with, but this is, they are voted by ward and they are to serve, I would say, primarily the people in their constituency. And I don't believe, for example, that it's that people like, let's say Graham Noble, who's a trustee for ward 15 out in Waterdown. Uh, I don't believe that his constituents' interests or desires or concerns would necessarily be the same as, um, I don't know, Sabrina Dahab, who's in Ward 2. And I don't believe that we should have a board that says we can only have one point of view and we're going to shut you out if you are not in agreement with what the rest of the board says. You should be allowed to express your constituents' concerns. Well, frankly... Uh you know, and I, I, I follow not only this board, but uh, the Halton board and and uh, to some extent uh, the, the Grand Erie board. I, I, I maybe this is uh, just coming from my generation, but I don't see what the difficulty is in having um, difficult discussions about issues and, and the, the notion that we have to somehow paper over differences um, I, I just don't get what the value of that is. Uh, it seems to me it would be better to uh, arrive at a policy after everybody has said what they really think. And and you're right. I mean, it's true. Nobody pays attention to Board of Education races. When people vote, they, they probably have an idea who their counselor is, and that's why so many of them get reelected over and over again. Name recognition is is very important. But when it comes to ticking the box for the Board of Education, the level of knowledge of the voter is extremely low. And it, it's partly because uh, the just the nature and the, the remuneration of the position that you don't get the same kind of campaigning. You don't get the advertising, although with the Internet and, of course, uh, social media, it, it does allow to balance that deficit a little bit. But it seems to me that the nature of how you got there determines your responsibility and who you're who you're working for and uh it, it you know board of education meetings are a, a lot more 
uh, you know, they're they're much politer than than city council meetings. But the bottom line is, you got there through an election, and your first responsibility has to be to the people who voted you in. Mm. I, I have, yeah, I have no objection. I, I don't necessarily love it, but I have no objection if the school board says, look, we demand that principals who are hired and appointed by us and teachers who are hired by the school board go through the channels to speak to the media or to the public if that was the case. I, I, I don't I don't have an issue with that any more than, you know, people who work for different companies have to follow that. But this is the trustees are an entirely different kettle of fish because they are elected by the people. It makes it very, very unique. Yeah, it, it does. And and I don't know why there's really any great debate about it. It's uh, they, they were elected. So they're, they're, they're first, you know, you can, you can be as polite and as cerebral as you want, but if you are not elected, you don't have any ability to shape the way the Board of Education works other than by delegation. So the idea that you would be responsible to the board as if the board took on some dimension that that gave it special status, I realize the work is cleaner. We're talking about education. We're talking about ideas. We're talking about concepts. So we're not talking about garbage. We're not talking about potholes. But uh, the subject matter to me is secondary. You're elected and your responsibility is to the electorate. Mm. And, uh, and then with that comes the give and take that takes place in any elected uh, debate forum, whether it's a council or a legislature. So let's say that a trustee, because this seems to be, again, the idea that, well, we're going to hash this out around the table and then we'll speak. That seems to be a lot of the state, the sentiment here. Let's see that, let's say they have a debate and it turns out in the end that one of the trustees is vigorously opposed and speaks to the media and says, I'm totally opposed to this. What's wrong with that? I can't think of anything wrong with it. I, I think it's, it's democracy at work. Uh, there was some reference, I think, in the in the uh, as I listened to it about undermining the board. Well, uh, continuing to express a disagreement and perhaps uh, attempting to have the matter revisited at some future time—that's not undermining the board. That's that's simply uh, pressing a point. And uh, I, I don't, you know, we're seeing a bit of it at Hamilton City Council as well with some of these newer councillors where, you know, the kind of give and take around the table on issues, uh, they're, they're being slapped down by chairs from time to time when, in fact, they've done nothing except express an opinion forcefully. I get that you don't, you don't impute motives to other people. I get that you stay away from personal attacks. But, but just expressing a view with, with, with some heat, uh, to me, is part of the give and take of, of normal political life. And for the life of me, I can't understand why we're trying so hard to have everybody playing nice, well, you, artificially so. You mentioned city council, and I think it's a very valid comparison because trustees' names are on the same ballot as councillors' uh, candidates are. It's in the municipal election. It's the same ballot. It's the same electorate. It's the same people choosing council as trustees. And as I wrote today, if Andrea Horvath, if Mayor Andrea Horvath came out with a motion saying all commentary about city issues must be 
you know, gone through city management, city media communications people, and then I will speak for the city and councillors are not to speak. People would think she'd been dropped on her head. They would think she had lost her mind. She would never do it because she's way too smart, but people would think she had lost it completely. It, it's, it, when you put it in the context of that, it's no different. It's the same vote. It's the same election. It's the same electorate. I just don't see how the school board has gotten themselves tangled up in this thing. Well, who knows? Uh, maybe they'll read your column, Scott, and well, they'll and they'll have some sober second thought. But it it, it is concerning to see, uh, you know, this this kind of uh, controlling sort of process creeping in. Uh, to me, uh, boards of education are controlled enough. They're they're very much driven by staff, much more so than a than a municipal government. Uh, you know, there's to me there's. There's, there's quite enough uh, control of messaging uh, around that particular level of government. And I just don't think we need more of it. Well, and one more thing, and it goes to a point you just made, which was that most of us don't know who our trustees are. That's, that's true. There's no getting around that. That is absolutely true. Most of us, when we go to vote, don't know anything about the trustee that we're going to choose. To me we should have more trustee voices in the public. We should have more trustees doing interviews because that is only going to make the situation better to choose better people because then we know who's in power. I have a feeling the public will pay more attention to the next board of education meeting than they have in a long time. Let's hope so. Let's hope, and let's hope that they're, they pay attention and that, look, I, I, people have stuff to do. I'm not actually <laughs> suggesting they, that, that they're going to do this, but it would be good because, I, again, getting, making the board more anonymous than it already is, to me, is a defeating purpose. And I don't know if that's part of this, that, hey, we can fly under the radar and no one has to know who we, who we are. I, I would hope that's not what they're, some of them are trying to get at, that I can just continue to work here and never have to speak. And any media person calls me, I can say, hey, I can't talk, sorry, no can do. Uh, I hope that's not the thinking behind this. It's not a cop out, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, John Best, publisher of the Bay Observer. Always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's been a long time since we had this next guy on. Uh, we like to have him on the show because he's great and we get all kinds of stuff discussed, but it's been a while. So let's bring Eric Alper back in. He's a music publicist and promoter and he does everything in the world of music. Eric, how are you today? Everything. I do everything. Everything, everything except, except actually play. I was just going to say that, except the music part, but you know, who needs... <laughs> except for the music part. And if you've ever heard me sing, you'll understand why. Well, you know, we'll, uh, we'll keep that one open for, uh, if we run out of things, we'll, uh, I don't think we're going to run out of things though. So you may be off the hook, Yeah. but I, I saw this, uh, very interesting story in Forbes magazine online, uh, a couple days ago, headline was music enhances productivity, the science behind the 10 best songs. And I don't think there's anybody that doesn't believe that if you're on a, if you're running, for example, if you're going for a jog or working out or whatever, I, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't think that a good song at the right beat with the right, that just hits the right spot doesn't make a difference. We all think that, but I've always wondered whether when you are sitting working at your job, if music actually helps or is a distraction, this seems to suggest that even if you're doing a desk job, work, uh, music helps your work. You believe that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and it all depends on what kind of music it is, too, because, you know, if, if there's runners out there or people who like to exercise, you already know that having songs like Don't Stop Believin' by Journey or I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston, they're upbeat songs. They're really good. I even have a, a, a kind of running playlist whenever I decide that I go a little bit bonkers and end up doing half marathons or marathons. So I've got my own playlist, but it's been proven more and more that, of course, music can um, improve the mood as well as kind of elevate your performance. They, they also dig deeper into surveys based on scientific methods and, and the study. And a couple of them have already shown um, that listening to music that you don't know actually boost the creativity part in your brain because it's actually trying to figure out and get comfortable with the music that you don't know. In the meantime, you're trying to also work. So it's not a distraction as much as people think it is. But then also, if you listen to songs that you know really, really well, like songs that you know the lyrics and what's coming up in the music, it actually could be better or worse for you depending on how distracted you are by knowing all the lyrics and what's coming up. Yeah, and and again, I I think for anything physical, like a, a good song that has the same beat and tempo as your foot speed, for example, if you're jogging, can work almost as a metronome and keep you going. But again, I've always, I've always questioned if I'm sitting, you know, doing whatever, preparing for the show or writing for the paper, or if someone's an accountant and you have music on in the background of a certain kind, does that help you or does that uh, take away part of your brain usage? Part of your brain is now there as opposed to single-mindedly on the work. This, again, says very clearly that it actually helps you. And here, here's a line I, that I'll, I'll throw out to you from this, uh, see if you agree with this. Your choices may be different, but overall, classic rock, alternative, and pop music were perceived to be the most helpful productivity, while hip-hop, heavy metal, and electronic dance music were perceived to be the most distracting. Yeah, I, I think I would tend to agree with that. You know, if there's one thing that um, that classical musicians have always kind of, you know, told themselves is that they are the most smartest musicians out there, that it makes them feel actually more productive when they're listening to classical music or they're writing classical music. Well, the Mozart effect, right? Yeah, absolutely, because that's all music is. It gives you all those those that that kind of feeling of dopamine that that makes people feel really really good um when it comes to metal obviously i think you know if you love metal then you're going to kind of disagree with this but i think a lot of people just don't like people scream screaming at them <laughs> when they're going to work chances are they can probably already get that from you know from their boss um but i think it's kind of safe to say that no matter what kind of music you actually choose whether you think it's noise or whether you think it's light breezy music um, you know, almost half the people um, that surveyed over and over and over again believe that music helps them focus and actually increases their productivity. And in fact, if you want to go one step further, if you're actually in a store or in a mall shopping away, stores that have upbeat, bright music, people tend to spend a lot more money and more time in that store than stores without music or even slow ballads. Yeah, yeah, there's probably a reason, even if it's unintentional, there's probably a reason that 
most offices don't have heavy metal playing. You don't have Run to the Hills playing by Iron Maiden in the middle of the workday. You have something on that's either very light, very poppy or classical because that's always been perceived as, well, it's not too distracting. Whether it's helpful, it's just not too distracting. Right, for sure. And even Sounds of Nature is actually yep. pretty good, too. As long as, you know, for a lot of people, if there's no words to it, it actually lowers that potential for distractions. But, you know, it really all depends on those genres of music that are actually able to boost your mood and increase those feelings of joy and contentness and making the time go faster. That's really what it's all about. Uh, they came up, by the way, they have the list here that uh, surveys... Uh, it says, uh, using analysis on 4,000 work-related Spotify playlists, they found the top songs people chose for productivity. So this is not saying scientifically these are the best songs. This is what people believe are the best songs. Uh, here they are. You hit on two of them. You got two out of them. You name two songs. They're both on here. Uh, Drops of Jupiter by Train is number one. I don't even know that song. Uh, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, number two. Don't Stop Believing by Journey, number three. Blinding Lights by The Weeknd is number four. Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles, number five. As It Was by Harry Styles. Apparently Harry Styles is the... Uh, <laughs> very big in the popular... Mr. Productivity. World. I Want to Dance with Somebody uh, by Whitney Houston. Closer by The Chainsmokers or Closer by The Chainsmokers, number eight. Circles by Post Malone would not have put Post Malone onto a list. Wouldn't have thought that would be there, but there you go. And Flowers by Miley Cyrus, number 10. Hmm. Yeah, all of those, I think for the top, I would think eight of them, if you're ever walking, even at your normal pace, and that song comes on, and your feet is moving to the groove and the beat of the music, it's the greatest feeling in the world. But mm. yeah, it's, a, it's surprising that Fleetwood Mac and Journey, both fairly old songs, are the two kind of oldest songs on there. Um, I wonder I wonder if that's just the case of the kind of music or that we're used to working with computers, so we're used to hearing more computer sounds in it rather, you know, of a Miley Cyrus or a Chainsmokers when you're not going to be bombarded by a guitar solo or keyboard solo. All right, let's change tack for a second because it is, uh, we are getting close to Christmas time. It is the 12th of December. We're less than two weeks away from Christmas, which means you've either, and you, uh, maybe Eric Alper, maybe just people listening, you have either had music, Christmas music on in your house, or you've been out somewhere and you've heard Christmas music, or you're one of those people who, um, you know, occasionally tunes into those all Christmas music satellite radio channels, whatever. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about those things, but you know, I just did. Um, anyway, so Eric, you have been in the music business a long time. I know you're going to know the answer to this one. Do you know what the all time top selling Christmas song, not album, what the all time top selling Christmas song is? Yeah, it's probably White Christmas by Bing Crosby. There you go, Bing, yeah, right on, yeah, right? It's, it's, it's probably the single biggest selling song. I think the last time that I looked, I think it was hovering around 53 million copies sold. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, and it's not, I don't even think that it's just the biggest Christmas song. I think it's the I, biggest, it's the biggest song, song ever in music history, which is interesting because there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's an idea out there, or at least somebody put it out there, and I can't remember who it was, but I, I saw this, that Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You in about eight years is going to be the biggest selling song of all time. It's closing in. So right now it is number five on the list, but it's not quite halfway. And I mean, it's amazing to me, quite honestly, that it remains 
as popular year after year as it does because I uh, I am in the category of if I never hear that song again, <laughs> I will be fine. Which which is odd. We're going to get to the most sort of annoying Christmas songs of all time because I, I I don't know what it is about Christmas. I love Christmas music. I love Christmas. But boy, it seems like most pop artists who write Christmas songs, man, it's bad. Or at least in very short order, we become very fatigued with it. I love Paul McCartney. I do not want to hear Paul McCartney's Christmas song ever again. I cannot stand it. Uh, John Lennon, you know, his Christmas song, I'm done. I I love the Beatles. So many of these, not interested. But anyway, uh, what else do you think is on the list? We'll come to the annoying ones in a second. What else do you think is on the list of best-selling Christmas songs of all time? You've named two of them, so we got... Yeah, I, I would think... I, I mean, I know that Wham's Last Christmas just cracked about 1.4 billion streams, and that was... Um, and, and it's only recently that that song, since about 2019, started appearing on the chart year after year after year. Um, but even songs like... Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande, which I, I don't think a lot of our listeners would even be able to know that song. That one streamed 910 million times. So All right. So, a billion. so yeah. streaming, I'm not counting streaming. Streaming is a whole different thing, but best selling. So Wham! White Christmas or uh, Last Christmas is number eight on the list. I was just shocked mm. at what was on the list. Do they know it's Christmas by Band-Aid? All right, here we go. I'll get to the, let me see what's here. So number 10, the Harry Simeone Corral, the original 1958 Little Drummer Boy is number 10. Oh, I just saw them. I I just saw them in Hetz last weekend. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Number nine, another Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters, Jingle Bells, the original version of that one, I guess, or maybe it wasn't the original. I don't know. Then you had Wham! with Last Christmas. Then Band-Aid. Number seven, Do You Know It's Christmas, is the seventh biggest selling Christmas song of all time. Gene Autry, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, number six. Uh, Number five, we said, was Mariah Carey. Number four, Brenda Lee, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree from 1958. Number three, in a million years, if you and I were to stay on this show (laughs) for the next one million years, nonstop broadcasting, we would not come up with number three. At least I wouldn't. I've never even heard of this before. But the number three biggest selling Christmas song of all time, Tino Rossi, Petit Papa Noel. It's a French, it's a, he's a Corsican actor and singer, uh, a French singer recorded oh, 1946 wow. at the, uh, in World War II. Wow. I, I think it's one of those songs that you got a copy of when you, when you had, when you, maybe when you had a baby. <laughs> maybe. I'd never even heard it before. I'd only in Quebec. Uh, number two is Silent Night by Bing Crosby. And uh, number one, as you say, is White Christmas. But all right, let me go to this other one though, because where is the, oh, and streaming, um, top streaming, it's Mariah Carey by like a mile. All I want for Christmas is you. Then last Christmas, the Pogues. Uh, Fairy Tale of New York, Merry yeah. Christmas Everyone by Shaken Stevens, and then Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid. But I'm just trying to find here the most annoying, because they had a list, most annoying Christmas, what would you put on your list of most annoying Christmas song? With all due respect, it would be Feliz Navidad by, by Jose Feliciano. All right, um, you don't have to say with due respect, you can, uh, it, <laughs> you can it, just it, hate it. Eight, <laughs> it's eight words in the entire song. <laughs> it's, I, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, that, that's it. And then maybe I think a Happy New Year thrown in there. Um, never liked that song. But it's interesting that, that you, you said that in the beginning of this kind of segment because, you know, um, Sia, love Sia. 
can't listen to Snowman. I love Kelly Clarkson with all my heart. Can never listen to Underneath the Tree. Michael Bublé, certainly. But his Christmas album continued to sell and sell and sell. It's fascinating to me that, so for the second week in a row, Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree is the number one song um, on the Billboard Hot 100, a song that it took 65 years for it to re-enter back into the number one spot out of nowhere, but thanks to TikTok, because yeah. so many TikTokers, it was over 220 million videos in the last couple of weeks have used that song for their videos. So it's interesting where some older songs are getting reacquainted. And you and I have talked about songs like Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill or Dreams. And even the record labels have no idea what songs are going to be popular from days gone by. So, you know, when you, we can kind of laugh about the little drummer boy, but who knows in 2024, like that song may just storm up the charts, but right now somebody will do a remake. Yeah. Somebody will do a remake and, and, yeah. and then right. all of a sudden the original will get some new legs and away you There's go. Seven songs right now on the billboard top 10 that are, um, that, that are holiday songs and, you know, and it's, and it's songs that I don't think, a lot of people would recognize, you know, like, or, or, or at least, you know, bet on the house that somebody, you know, somebody like Bobby Helms, Jingle Bell Rock from the 1950s would be number three this week or Burl Ives, A Holly Jolly Christmas. The Hot 100 is supposed to be cool and hip and current and now, and here you have all of these old songs, but I get it. Christmas tends to be a little more traditional. Andy Williams is on that list. Feliz Navidad is on that list. And number 11, Dean Martin actually may make his first appearance in, in a great amount of time with Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. And that's number 12. Uh, I don't know if you were able to hear it. Ben had uh, Feliz Navidad playing underneath our uh, conversation a few moments ago. I had him turn it off before you uh, blew up your phone and uh, and would refuse to come back ever again. But excellent, um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to remember that for that. But it is the holiday season, so we'll 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 just let that. We'll let it out. go. Number the, so the top ten most. Now this was done by a poll, and the most annoying Christmas songs. Now I'll I'll, I'll leave it to people to. Uh, decide what would be on their list. You've said what yours is. I've got a few. I mean, uh, for me, uh, as much as, you know, some of the ones I mentioned are the most annoying, the, um, the, there is no question. There's not even a debate. The number one most annoying Christmas song of all time is the Christmas shoes, which is just <laughs> like someone's horrible idea of let's write a song about mom dying of cancer on Christmas day. And that is so anyway, but no, the top 10 most annoying by Paul. Do you hear what I hear? Uh, is number 10, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. That's definitely should be on the list. Uh, number nine, White Christmas at eight. Happy Christmas War is Over by John Lennon. So we got two Beatles in the top 10. Yeah. Deck the Halls, Baby It's Cold Outside. You mentioned A Holly Jolly Christmas, which is on the Hot 100, but it's also on the most annoying songs list, according to this. Number three, brrr, that, that's my uh, homage to Christmas Vacations uh, thing. Um, number three, <laughs> Feliz Navidad by Jose Feliciano. There you go. Number two, the, chi- the Chipmunks song, Christmas Don't Be Late by Alvin and the Chipmunks. And number one, which I would not necessarily have expected, considering what we just talked about. All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. The most beloved and the most hated Christmas song, same one. 
So, so many of them. In fact, that the, Brenda Lee and Mariah Carey and my beloved Alvin and the Chipmunks from, from when I was six, um, they're the only three songs in music history to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. So you get to, you get to the, the idea that sometimes it's like Phil Collins in the 1980s, brilliant but overplayed, so people didn't like them. But I just, it kind of blows me away that we're living in this world and thanks to streaming services. It's the only reason why all of these songs are there is because people can now make playlists, share them, and they can listen to them and play them in the office. But there is absolutely no rhyme or reason that today's teenagers who dominate the the kind of survey of the Billboard Hot 100 with streaming and buying, there's no reason that they should ever be listening to Dean Martin. Yeah, and no slight to him, but Burl Ives is not my impression of a of a fifteen year old's playlist, but they are. And so I think that it's it's really fascinating to see all of these old songs just kind of coming up. And then you have like SZA and you have Doja Cat and you have Jack Harlow in the top ten, and it's like that's what it should look like. It shouldn't really look like this, but here we are. Here we are. Well, there you go. There's the list. Uh, people can let me know what they think. Are their most beloved or annoying Christmas songs of all time? I know I'm surprised that um, uh, that uh, Band Aid was not on there because I know that a lot of people have that on the list. I I don't. I actually like that song. But um, there you go. There is. Uh, oh, and you know what should have been on the list of really great songs? The all time classic, the greatest Christmas album of all time. And you I probably know what you're going to say you're you're going to say Phil Spector and Baby Come Home. No, I was going to go oh. with the Twisted Sister Christmas. Oh, I worked that album. I did. I did PR for that record. Did you really? I did. It was around the same time as the Death Row Christmas album. Both have a home in a, a place in my home, but the Twisted Sister record and Death Row. You've never heard Snoop Dogg as you've heard him sing Christmas songs. I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm not actually joking. Twisted Sister somehow pulled off a great Christmas album. Yeah. Nobody would have ever seen that coming. Maybe you, but no one else would have ever seen that coming. But it, it's it's actually really good. Most, uh, most hard rock and heavy metal artists who do Christmas songs are actually quite decent. And chances are it's because they didn't change a thing. They just cranked you know, it like, up. You know, talking about the... the the you know sometimes when you know we love these artists but then when they do like schmaltzy songs like christmas songs it 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 waters down the worst parts of them but for hard rock like judas priest or iron maiden it still sounds like judas priest and iron maiden yeah and the song and that's that's part of the reason why i'm not a big fan of mariah carey i mean why sing one note when you can sing four (laughs) <laughs> uh, on every single note. That's uh, anyway. Uh, that is Eric Alper. We can. Uh, we love having you on here. Thanks for doing this today. Thank you so much, Scott. We'll talk soon. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.